Please be seated. All right, if you have a Bible with you, please open to Ephesians chapter 6. We'll look at verses 5 through 9 this morning, or the text is printed on the same, uh, uh, the next page of the bulletin for you as well. I'm just going to pray, and we'll get right into reading it. So, <clears throat> Father, we pray for your help as we consider your word this morning. There's um, a lot about your word that if we truly understood it would um, at least rub us wrong. There's um, a lot about who you are and what you say about us that we need to uh, relearn according to your perspective and your truth, uh, because we're... Um, we're prone to wander, and we feel that, and so we want to um, be drawn close to you through your word and not be repelled by it, and so we pray that you would help us by your Holy Spirit to change us from the inside out, to make us um, uh, receptive to your word and to be changed by it into the likeness of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Your masters do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, <clears throat> there are a lot of sermons on this uh, uh, passage that uh, I've listened to, or even that I've preached on this, or the, the parallel passages that you might find other places in Paul, but they basically go this way. You know, this text really is originally about, uh, the original audience was, uh, they had... They had the institution of slavery, so it was about masters and slaves, and we have to um, give you some disclaimers about why we think uh, that's kind of a wrong institution. The Bible gives you a lot of reasons to think that that's, uh, that's a bad institution that we, we did well to get away from. Uh, so today's parallel, since we don't have masters and slaves necessarily in our regular society, today's parallel is um, with bosses and employees. It's work relationships, right? And uh, the main application then uh, goes on to be work. We talk about work and vocation. And so I've done that, and there's a lot of value in discussing all that, and there's, the Bible has a lot to say about all that, but, <clears throat> but work isn't exactly what Paul is after in this passage. He's not, he's not really talking about work or um, vocation in the sense that we usually think of it, the nine-to-five job or whatever, uh, you have that, you know, you, you bring home the bacon with. So he's not talking about that. He's gone pretty deep theologically to this point uh, over the course of his letter to the Ephesians. And contrary to what may be popular opinion, that deep theology doesn't have to be made relevant uh, to the important matters in life. True Christian theology is already relevant to the, the most important things in life. Right? It's already immediately relevant to what matters most, and that's relationships. And he's talking about relationships. He's been talking about <clears throat> the last couple of verses, talking about husbands and wives, the relationships there, and the relationships between parents and their children, uh, in particular relationships that are instituted by God as relationships of authority. Right? There's uh, relationships between equals, but we're placed in these relationships of authority. 
one person has authority, one person submits to the authority. That's what uh, he's been talking about here at the end of uh, chapter 5 and beginning of chapter 6. So these relationships are the arenas of life that we have, uh, the most important arenas in life for the proper exercise of of God-given authority and the proper submission to God-given authority. Um, So each one is called to either exercise authority in an earthly relationship just as Christ would exercise his authority or to submit to authority in that earthly relationship just as you would submit to Jesus Christ himself. Um, And this is the renewal. This is like the corrective. This is fixing what is ultimately wrong with the world is that we, a long time ago, believed the devil's lie that authority is bad, especially God's authority over us. We believe the lie that authority is a bad thing. And so rather than living in submission to authority, we live in suspicion of it. And rather than doing authority well, we've totally distorted it and we abuse it. So Paul has cast a vision of God for us to this point in Ephesians. He's, He's given us a perspective on who God is and what he's done for us in the gospel that puts all of our fears about authority and all of our doubts at ease. Um, So now we can live in submission to him, and that submission even includes our submission to earthly authorities in earthly relationships between the people that we're in relationships with, right? Our submission to him includes submission to those relationships, even to fallen earthly authorities, in broken social institutions. Even even in the broken relationships, our submission to Christ uh, materializes and can be expressed by and exercised in our submission to even even broken institutions in this fallen world. Right? Um, so the Bible knows the Bible knows that slavery is not the way it's supposed to be. Right? The Bible's clear about that, that slavery is a result of the fall. It's a result of of uh, people's rebellion against God and their, their um, abuse of one another. And so the Bible absolutely condemns the evil trafficking of human beings. That's, that's clear. And the church has been right to work against such things in the world. church has been a major force working against such things in the world. So, for example, the Bible says in Exodus 21, whoever steals a man and sells him and anyone found in possession of him shall be put to death. It's pretty clear. The Bible's against it, right? So uh, Western society, the, the culture that we live in that rejects the institution of slavery as a broken institution, it owes a good deal of its sensibilities about equality and dignity to the Christian view of humanity that's found in the Bible. You don't find this kind of view of humanity anywhere else. This is where it started. Um, so nevertheless, uh, Paul... You know, you can make an argument that he, he, he is um, undermining this institution in one place or another of his writings, but here he assumes the broken institution of slavery. It's just a reality in our world. These relationships are broken. This institution is broken, right? And rather than explicitly dismantling it on a systematic level, he just assumes it and says, hey, you're, you're in this relationship, live this way, right? So what he does write is actually the sort of subversive theology that ultimately would go to undermine the institution of slavery, but he's actually 
even in this broken relationship, he's promoting submission to earthly authorities. He's promoting submission to authority. He says, he says in 1 Corinthians 7, so it's another place, he says, Let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all of the churches. Were you a bondservant? And that word, when you read bondservant in, in the New Testament, it's the very simple translation is slave. Um, bondservant does have sort of the, uh, cultural connotations attached to it that were more appropriate to that, that culture. Uh, they, they didn't maybe have slavery the way that we understood it from the last couple hundred years, uh, enslaving African Americans. That, um, that's a, it's a different thing, so maybe it's right to translate it as bondservant, but, but really it is the word for slave. Right? So he says, were you a slave? Were you a bondservant when called, when you became a Christian? You know, were you a bondservant when you became a Christian? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. So, brothers, in whatever condition each one was called, there let him remain with God. There let him remain with God. So there is a spiritual opportunity. Is what Paul's saying. There's a spiritual opportunity, even in the relationship between a master and a slave. It's a relationship that really shouldn't exist. It, it exists as an institution because of the brokenness of the world. It's not the way it's supposed to be. But even in that relationship, there is an opportunity for you to live in this fallen world with God, is what Paul says. Remain there with God. Um, we can't escape all the brokenness of the world. You couldn't possibly arrange it so that all your relationships were pristine and pure and untouched by the fall, right? Um, we can't escape the brokenness of the world, but we can live in the midst of it unto the Lord and with God. Right? He calls us to submit to earthly authorities with the same attitude that we would submit to his authority. And that is happily right? and sincerely. He says, obey your earthly masters as you would Christ. He repeats this concept over and over again. As bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, as to the Lord, and not just to the men that you're serving. Right? That's... So Paul repeats it over and over again because it's very hard for us to hear it. It's very hard for us to hear it. I imagine it would be very easy for a first century Roman slave to come up with really good reasons to run away or rebel against their masters. It's probably easy to come up with good reasons why I should get out of this relationship and not do what my master says. Um, and it's easy for us to come up with reasons why we shouldn't have to submit and do what they say, submit to our, our bosses or our teachers in school or uh, government officials, people in authority over us, right? Easy for us to come up with reasons why, boy, it might be better just to run uh, or disobey, right? Um, or if we do obey them, then it's easy to do so out of the wrong motivation to call attention to ourselves, right? To make sure that we get the notice that we deserve, the honor we deserve for doing a good job here. Uh, basically doing it as eye service, as people pleasers, which he's saying don't do that, right? 
Um, But Christ says, you will do what they say, and you will obey them as you would obey me from the heart. You'll obey these broken authorities as you would obey me in my perfect authority. Um, That is with, with the right attitude. So he's the one who's placed us in these relationships of authority, and he he wants us to engage in those relationships with a certain attitude, with a certain perspective, right? With zeal, with eagerness, with uh, wholeheartedly, enthusiastically, sincerely. And this is in contrast to how we usually feel about obeying authorities. Just that word of obeying or submitting to authority usually makes us feel uh, resentful, like we're reluctant, with, with bitterness or resentment or animosity or self-pity, we might obey the authorities. Right? Um, but Paul has already told us that we need to live with gratitude at all times. Right? That the internal state of our hearts should be okay because of our relationship with God. He said in, in chapter 5, verse 20, that we live giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this includes gratitude for the opportunity to walk with God, to live as unto Christ, even in the broken earthly relationships, even in those the broken institutions. So to do what your boss says, even when you think you know, you're pretty sure you know there's a better way to do this. And not be resentful about it. Or to not waste your time at work. To not waste your time even though you know you're not really going to get in trouble for it. If your boss catches you, you might uh, look busy. But even if he catches you, it's not a big deal. right? Um, To not waste your time at work. To go without recognition that maybe you feel like you deserve. Maybe you rightly do deserve certain recognition. A pay raise or a, a promotion. To go without that because you're not calling attention to yourself. Um, to obey the laws, like the tax laws, when it hurts a lot financially to do so. Um, and all these things not begrudgingly, but with a sincere heart, rendering service with a good will to the Lord, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. So it's your relationship with Jesus Christ as Lord that undergirds your relationship with earthly authorities. It's your, you have, the ultimate reference is, is Jesus Christ as Lord. So they, the earth, earthly authorities, they may mistreat you. They probably will mistreat you. He never will. They may not deserve your obedience but he is worthy of all honor. And uh, they may overlook your good work, but he won't miss a thing, and he will richly reward the faithful for the good that, that is done in his name. All right, so as, as someone in submission to earthly authorities, you're called not just to live in that relationship, but to co- you're called to walk with God in that relationship. Your ultimate reference Uh, being to Christ the Lord, and and you can be assured that in the end it will go very well for you, even if things are quite difficult in the here and now with these authorities. So 
Peter says in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, he says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if you do good and suffer for it, you endure? This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. And the same thing, Paul says, it goes for uh, those who exercise earthly authority. The same thing goes for people in the master position in these earthly authoritative relationships, even the broken ones. They also are called to live with ultimate reference to Jesus Christ as Lord. Right? Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there's no partiality with him. So in one sense, that no partiality uh, part means that the gospel is the great leveler of all humanity. Right? Slaves and free. Everybody. We're all on equal footing in God's sight. This is one of the ramifications of Ephesians 1 um, when it said uh, that God seated Christ at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. In front of the, the throne of God, all of us, there's, there's no partiality. There's no gradation, right? Nobody comes more impressive than anybody else. We're all equal. The gospel is the great equalizer before the throne of Christ, which is above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar kind of figured that out, right? The, the Old Testament reading that Sarah read from Daniel 4, Nebuchadnezzar, he had exalted himself in pride, he thought of himself as kind of the center of the universe. Look how great I am. All this I've, got, I've gotten for myself. And the true king of heaven was able to humble even him. He says he's able to humble the proud. Because before God, all of us are on the same footing. Even the great kings, even the great emperors. Right? On the same footing before God. And so when Nebuchadnezzar kind of tuned into that, with that humility... And with that thanksgiving that he offered and with that praise of the one true God that he, he offered to some degree, it became the restoration of sanity, the restoration of reason for him, um, the restoration of his majesty, his real majesty and his real splendor. In fact, he was increased in his greatness because he realized that before the true king of heaven and earth, he's, he's just a humble person, right? like every other person. Um, and when he, when he figured that out, his sanity res was restored and his greatness was increased. Right? So Jesus Christ 
the Lord of heaven and earth, he relativizes all other authorities. Every knee will bow before him, but he doesn't erase relationships of authority. He put Nebuchadnezzar back on the throne. He doesn't erase those relationships. He establishes them as opportunities for us to exercise our faith as masters in these relationships of authority, right? So the, the believing master has a glorious opportunity to reflect the authority of Christ, which is actually characterized by something the world doesn't understand, the authority of Christ at all. The authority of Christ is characterized by the freedom and the power to serve. That's what Christ's authority looks like. It's not what the world expects, not what the world understands or defines authority as. It's the freedom and power to serve. And you pick this up everywhere in the Gospels, but this was, uh, I think, a particularly uh, important passage to me this week. In John 13, John records, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father... Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, this is the important part for understanding his authority here, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. So in another place it says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, Jesus says. Knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. He rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments. Taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I'm doing you do not understand now but afterward you will understand. And Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. If I don't wash you, you have no share with me. So this is saying, this passage is saying, that Jesus is fully aware of his authority. The Father's given all things into his hands. He's fully aware of his authority. And he is aware of how he represents God because He came from God. He is God. He knows that he came from God. And he knows that he's going back to God, so he's aware of the fact that everything he's doing pleases God. And God, ultimately, his Father, will receive him back into heaven. So he comes from God. He's going back to God. All things have been given into his hands by God. and, uh, And in full awareness of these things, he exercised and revealed God's own authority to us. It's God's authority that he's exercising and that he's revealing. And his authority is the power to give himself in humble, loving, sacrificial service. To give himself in humble service. That's what God's authority is really like. True authority, divine authority is the freedom to serve. Jesus reveals it. He reveals that it is of the essence of God. It's who he is who he actually is to serve those who are under his care. So if we're going to know God, if we're going to have a relationship with him, that's what salvation's about. If you're going to have a relationship with this God, it means that we first have to submit to him as the one who serves us. 
We have to submit to his authority, and it's a serving authority. We have to submit to that, right? Which means we have to confess that our conception of authority has been all wrong. We've been wrong to interpret God's authority. We've been wrong to think uh, of, of God as a tyrant, to be suspicious of his authority, to think of him as a dictator, a tyrant who lords it over his people. That has been wrong. And we need to confess that, and we, need to, we confess that his, his authority is a good one, and it's a beautiful one, and we're happy to, be, to submit to it. God is a servant, and he has served us in Jesus Christ by pouring out his life so that we could know him, so that we could live with him. When he washed his disciples' feet, that's a, a beautiful picture, but it really was only a precursor to his work at the cross, his service at the cross on our behalf. The cross was the greatest exercise of his kind of authority. His, his authority, the absolute freedom to serve humbly, lovingly, self-sacrificially was demonstrated at the cross. He is able even to give himself in love to people who would mock his authority, to people who don't understand his authority. He said to Peter, you don't understand this now. Right? He can give himself, his authority is such that he can give himself to people who would kill him and take his authority away from him, usurp his rule in their lives in their foolish rebellion. He said in John 10, I lay down my life. I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up. He's not at the mercy of anybody when he gives up his life to restore us to God. That's the perfect demonstration of his authority to be able to lay down his life for evil people. He's free to live and die and rise again for the sake of love, humble service for you, even though you could never deserve that. Um, If you don't let the king of the universe serve you, if you don't submit to that kind of authority, if you don't let him serve you, then you have no part in him, he says. But if you do let him serve you, it means turning upside down that vision of authority, your, your understanding and your use of authority. It means to be like him. To be like him means that we would exercise authority as we serve, not as we threaten or manipulate to get people to do what we want. That's not a good use of authority, right? It's like Uncle Ben always says, with great power comes great responsibility, In God's economy, those are the same thing. Power and responsibility, power and service, power and love, those are the same thing. Um, Maybe a better theologian, Augustine, said uh, in in his book, The City of God, this is a quote that's at the beginning of the bulletin. He's talking about Christian emperors, but that's, you know, just kind of the highest idea of authority that Peter was talking about, you know. um, Even the emperor, even the, the emperor who's killing Christians, Submit to that guy, right? So the the emperor is the supreme idea of the authority in the land. And here he says, we say that Christian emperors are happy. That means they're they're joyful in their relationship with God. They're happy if they rule justly. If they make their power the handmaid of his majesty, 
by using it for the greatest possible extension of his worship. If they fear, love, and worship God. If they're slow to punish and ready to pardon. If they prefer to govern depraved desires rather than any nation whatever. And if they do all these things, not through ardent desire of empty glory, but through love of eternal felicity, not neglecting to offer to the true God who is their God for their sins the sacrifices of humility, contrition, and prayer, such Christian emperors, we say, are happy in the present time by hope, as they are destined to be so in the enjoyment of the reality itself when that which we wait for shall have arrived. So it's this idea that they're looking to the time when they will be restored uh, face-to-face in relationship with their master. They, they look at that time with hope, and they live now in light of that hope right, as good masters, exercising justice and humility and self-control and, and forgiveness. Right? You don't have to be an emperor, right? Because none of us is going to achieve that status. You don't have to be an emperor to let your authority work in the same way for the good of those who are under your care. So a a good example from the scriptures, Boaz, right? He's just a farmer, really. He's got a bunch of farmhands working for him in the field, respected in the community. Um, He blesses his workers when when he sees them. He greets them in the name of the Lord, and he he gets to know them. He gets to know the, the lady who who came by to glean, right? He gets to know these people who are beneath his status, maybe. Um, he develops relationships with them, and he's generous. He's generous, and he's kind. You know, that's a good master. Right? And we can be like that in our relationships, in the, in the relationships of authority where, where we're in the master position, right? At work or uh, wherever it might be. Make sure maybe work is a good example uh, the Sabbath commandment, right? the, the, the commandment where God says, you make sure that you, you take a Sabbath rest once a week, and you make sure that, you, that your employees take that rest too. You're not going to work them into the ground so that you can have a day off, right? Uh, this is for them too, for their good too. So you make sure your employees get rest. Make sure you create the kind of environment where they might see the beauty and the care and the good authority of Christ exercised on their behalf. They're under your care. What kind of authority are you going to exercise over them? The serving kind, the humble kind, the loving, self-giving kind. Jesus said in Mark 10, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So it's it's because we believe in Christ's kind of authority, the kind of divine authority, self-giving authority that Christ exercises, because we believe that he's for us, He's, he's for our good. He's not against us. That we can live with ultimate reference to him in all of our earthly relationships, even the ones uh, that are broken, obeying authority and exercising authority as he calls us to do. It's because of the gospel. We can do that. So let's do it. Amen. Let's pray.
Father, it's hard to follow Christ when the whole world is arrayed against you and your kingdom, and it's very difficult to perceive any, any glimpses of, um, of true authority in the relationships that we have um, at work or in the government or wherever they may be. Um, it's hard for us because the world is, uh, is set up to function autonomously from you in, su- in suspicion of your good authority. And we pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, uh, convince us of the kind of authority that Jesus has exercised on our behalf, that he who has uh, risen to the, the point, the place above all rule and authority and power and dominion, he is the one, he's the very same one who has laid down his life for his people, for those who are under his care. And we pray that... Um, with ultimate reference to Christ, you would help us to live in all of our relationships, um, truly submissive to them, even as we're submissive to Christ, that you would help us to uh, be sincere in heart and do the Lord's will as unto the Lord himself in every relationship, and that you would help those of us who um, might be managers at work or people who exercise authority in some sphere of life, that you would help us to demonstrate the kind of authority, the divine, the true authority that Jesus Christ himself demonstrates uh, as we give ourselves for the sake, the, the good of those who are under our care. We pray this for the sake of your kingdom going forward in our lives so that people might catch a glimpse of Jesus and his, his beauty. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat>